Well, hey, Anthem Church, Bert Alcorn here. I am so excited and delighted to be back in First Peter with you. And I'm so thankful for Terry Fouché and friends like him who come and deposit something so special into the life of our church. I hope it blessed you. Uh, and we are really thankful for his voice and his presence in the life of our church. Throughout the letter of First Peter, Peter's been making sure we understand something. He's been making sure we understand our identity in light of all Jesus has done and accomplished. Jesus is the living stone rejected by men. Now we, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. That's where Terry had us last week. Jesus is building us up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices. Peter has been processing through this identity with these Jesus followers that are mostly Roman citizens spread all throughout what is modern day Turkey. And he's going to get into some implications of that identity, some behavior and some actions and some ways we live in light of that identity that we have. But, but before we get there, he has like one more huge, profound thing to say about who we are in Christ in light of all Jesus has done. And so where we're going to be today, we're going to be taking a huge chunk together. We're going to be in verses 9 through the very end, uh, verse 25. And we're taking a really big swath today because I want to hold on to um, what we're about to read here in these first couple of verses as we unpack the implications of those verses. And so what we're going to do, we're going to start in the first couple of verses and we're going to hold on to that identity as we go deeper down the rabbit hole that Peter has for us. And so just if you want to like roadmap where we're going in the text, we're going to be trying to answer four questions. Who, how, what and why. That's how Peter structures the rest of chapter two, and that's how we're going to be framing our time here. And so first question we're going to be unpacking is who are we? Who are we? This is something Peter does not want us to lose focus of. He he wants us to not forget who we are and whose we are. So first up, we're going to start in verses 9 and 10. So if you do have a Bible, go ahead and open up to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to start in verses 9 and 10. Peter says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy." Peter is answering the question of who are we before he gets into how we live. And he's made some massive statements about who we are because of what Jesus has done. He says you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're a people for God's own possession. You are God's people and you have received mercy. There are huge implications in these two verses for how we understand our life in Christ. So it's worth slowing down with these two verses and understanding what it means to be the kind of people Peter talks about. He says you're a chosen race. Now context is so, so important here. Peter writes to a Jew-Gentile mix of people in this new church from a wide variety of backgrounds and regions all over the Roman Empire. And he said you, 
and all of your differences and diversity are a chosen race. You're one chosen race. You're no longer identified by all of those other things that used to identify you. You're now identified by this chosen race of being in Christ. And typically, when, when writing to a mixed race or mixed uh, ethnicity audience, you, you wouldn't really lump them together like Peter is doing. But Peter has a point that he is trying to make. That when you're born into the new family of God through Jesus Christ, it changes the whole nature of what it means to be human. And suddenly all these other things that used to identify us or be at the top of the list that would identify us get knocked down a notch. And now the primary thing that identifies us as people is we are God's people. The things that used to be your primary defining realities are now secondary defining realities. They're not non-existent, they're secondary though. Race was, was uh, a major defining factor then as it is now in culture. But Peter says, now you are a chosen race. You're something different. A people born into the same family by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are one people in Christ. This doesn't mean we don't have racial identities. We're thinking about our own selves 2,000 some odd years later from Peter's writing with our, you know, whatever our skin color, family of origin or ethnic origin or anything like that. But it certainly means that our brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ supersedes that. It is now the the primary way we identify with each other. Now, why would this be so important to Peter's audience? And what we're seeing in the world now is over the last 2,000 some odd years is there's a consistent recurring theme of racial supremacy. This is not a new idea that we're having to reckon with today. This is something that's been in existence since the beginning of sin entering the earth, entering the world. And here's the reality of the gospel. The gospel will always fight this idea that one race or ethnicity is supreme over another. The gospel will always argue for a Christ-based people to live in perfect unity and grace and compassion in the mission of Jesus through this family metaphor we're given to by God. We are literally one family in Christ. Any sign of supremacy or domineering or lording advantage over another race is simply incompatible with the gospel of Jesus. And it's unacceptable in the body of Christ. And Peter says, no, 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 stop all of that. You are one family. You are one chosen race in Christ. We are people for his own possession. And this has brings us into like a, a greater level of togetherness on mission with anyone that comes to faith in Jesus. I mean, have, have you noticed that you can I mean, pre-COVID, you could travel anywhere in the world, encounter a Christian, and immediately there's something there that connects you. Maybe you're stumbling along in a different country and you walk into a coffee shop and you discover this person follows Jesus. And suddenly there's almost like that wink and that nod and that like there's something binding you together. And what Peter's saying is you can't look down on anyone else because you are now perfectly equal in Christ. You are made into one family. But not only that, you are a royal priesthood. We have these royal responsibilities. Terry unpacked a little bit of that for us last week. But when the Spirit of God fills all believers, we are now functioning as the priesthood of all believers. 
that stands between the world and the Father. There's no more mediator like there was in the old covenant. We are now the mediator between God and a broken world. The crazy thing about the people that Peter is is writing to is that some of them would have had like status as Roman citizens. And where he goes next is he says, no, 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 that doesn't matter as much because you are now a holy nation. Your chosen race, your royal priesthood, you have these priestly responsibilities to the world that we live in, and you are a holy nation. Peter's perspective is that this new set-apart citizenship is forming the body of Christ. Now, some of these people would have had status in the Roman Empire, and now, just like the race thing that gets knocked down a notch, and say, no, 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 you actually have status as a holy nation of God. And the status that that Roman citizens would have thought about would have been a hugely defining thing in the first century. It gave you freedom of travel, freedom of fidelity. It gave you all the rights and privileges of the Roman Empire. And we see that even Paul used those advantages of Roman citizenship to get out of some squeaky situations. And the, the reality, too, is that Rome would have considered itself a holy nation and, and, and its emperor as like divine, as a god. Peter is telling a group of people with mixed citizenship who are part of the body of Christ that their new national identity is not found in Rome, it's found in Christ, superseding their identity as Romans or as Jews or for you and I as Americans. As followers of Jesus, Man, so many of us have been consumed by what's been happening in the election and concerned or excited or frustrated or disappointed or anxious about what's happening. And it's created some incredibly challenging conversations and circumstances around faith and citizenship. And one of the most important texts in scripture that we can come around, and even if the uh, election has brought any anxiety to you, like put this to memory, our citizenship is in heaven, Paul tells the Philippians, and from it we await a savior, a Lord Jesus Christ. Our identity as a people is in this new nation. Our citizenship is in heaven. The nation that is formed in Christ, the kingdom of God, that is our one citizenship and everything else is secondary. So we shouldn't be too excited or too brokenhearted because our our hope is somewhere else. Our citizenship is somewhere else. Peter also reminds us we're, we're God's people. Once we were not a people, now we are God's people. In the context of this identity, Peter looks at those who follow Jesus as God's people who have received mercy. And it's part of who you are. You are a recipient of God's mercy. That's part of your identity as a human, as a person following after Christ. I don't know if that could be a bigger statement about our identity than than it is. It should sit with us like really heavy that we are God's mercy received people. We are preached counter gospels on the regular. And Peter's reminding us he has showered us with mercy and grace. That is who we are, not just what we've received. And as we deal with the onslaught of voices trying to convince us of a better way or a different gospel, we might be distracted from our priestly duties, our holy nation duties. 
So we're urged by Peter to remember you are a royal, our chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's people who have been shown mercy. This is absolutely foundational for us to grapple with before we can deal with the rest of chapter 2 because if we don't deal with verses 9 and 10, verses 13 through 25 are going to seem absolutely bunkers. There's gonna, it's going to feel impossible. It's going to feel so otherworldly and countercultural that we'll tend to dismiss it or ignore it or justify differently how we live. We need to know that we are a chosen race. You are set apart. You are made into something new as the family of God. You're a royal priesthood. You have mission and responsibility here to this world on behalf of Jesus. You are a holy nation. Your citizenship is in heaven. And by identity, you are people who have been found receiving God's mercy. You are his very own people. So in light of all of that, the next question we ask is how we live. If we understand who we are, Peter then moves to how do we live? How do we think about our life, our 70, 80, 90, whatever years here on earth? How do we live in light of that identity that he has gone to so much effort for us to understand? So let's pick up in verse 11 here, 11 through 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles or their Gentiles. When Peter uses Gentiles, it's also like kind of a code word for those who are not yet in Christ. So kind of the world around us. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that So that when they speak against you as evildoers, not if, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Life in exile comes with some different requirements. There is a way to live when our true home is elsewhere. There is a way we live when our home is not here. You are in exile. If you follow Jesus, this is not your ultimate home. You are in exile. We are living in a home that is not our ultimate home. And by thinking of yourself as an exile, it actually frees you up and allows you to engage in the world through a different perspective, through a spiritual or a kingdom of God perspective. I mean, think about it this way. If you were traveling to a different country, when you go to that different country, you are by nature processing that new country and all the experiences you have there through the lens of your American citizenship or identity. Like everything is a comparison game. Oh, this is how they make coffee here. This is how we make coffee there. Oh, this is how they tip there. This is how we tip here. And it's a constant comparison game. And you're always looking at your experiences in other countries through the lens of your home base country. What Peter is trying to tell us is this is not your home. So stop acting like it. Act like your home is in heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. And then see everything in this world through the lens of the kingdom of God. This is not our home. We're here temporarily. So you are not simply here to make the world a better place or your country a better place. Although that's a good byproduct of living the kingdom of God. 
Those things are not inherently evil. They just aren't our primary purpose as believers. We are citizens of a different kingdom, and we are here and now as a blessing and a testimony of the world and nation and kingdom we represent. If you want more on this, I literally preached 12 weeks through Daniel, and this was the whole big idea of the entire series. You can go back and listen or watch all those teachings we did in Daniel throughout the spring. The whole entire series was about, you are in exile. How do we live in a home that's not our home? But Peter does remind us that we live differently here as sojourners, as exiles, as literally wanderers and people without a permanent home. Don't give in to the passions of the world that we live in here. Don't give in to that stuff. They wage war against your soul. They grind up against your identity as Jesus followers. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles pure so that when they slander you, when they speak against you, they'll actually see your good deeds and glorify God. That's how we live in exile. So he says, this is how we live. This is who we are. This is how we live. And next he gets to what do we do? That's the next question. What do we do in light of this? Because if we just stop there, that all stays nice uh, and, and tight and abstract and ethereal, and we don't actually put it into practice, and Peter just does not let us off the hook. He says, this is who you are. This is the framework for which you live in this world, and then this is how you live. This is literally what we do. Have you ever just like wished God would just tell you what to do? He has. It's in the Bible. This is literally a chunk, two paragraphs worth of what you do. So the next time you say, God, what should I do with my life? This. You should do this. Okay, so let's read here. We've already got to a couple of these already in the text that we're to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. We're to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And we're to keep our conduct honorable among those who don't yet know Jesus. And he's going to add to that list of what we do in the next few verses, starting in verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. Have you ever asked that question? What's the will of God? Well, according to Peter, it's to be subject, to sit in submission to human institution, to governors, to emperors who do their thing. That's the will of God, that you would actually submit well to authority established by God. That by doing so, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. I don't want to connect the dots too heavily here with a sharpie. But we live in a time where our governing authorities are asking us to do certain things. This is the will of God. Unless they're asking us to do something that violates the call and obedience of Jesus, we are to be subject to every human institution, even if we don't like it. So that by doing good, you would put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. There's a whole lot of foolishness going around that we as Christians are bringing upon ourselves because we're ignoring verses 13 and 14. Peter says, you want to put to silence those foolish people? Submit well. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Verse 16. 
Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants for God. There's a whole other sermon I could do here, our free, uh, all around freedom from and freedom for. Often we think freedom is the ability to do anything we want with no consequences. And that's just not the idea of biblical freedom. Biblical freedom is the freedom to do the things God has called us to do and live totally in sync with our identity in him because we no longer are bound by the chains of sin and rebellion and evil and Satan. And Peter says, don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but use it to serve as living servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to do the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, if you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this, now we're gonna, we'll get to verse 21 in a minute. This is a hugely powerful couple of verses. And Peter's saying, it doesn't, if you mess up and get punished for it, like that's the way the world works. If you do good and suffer for it, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And it puts our temporary inconvenience, pain, or suffering into some perspective. What do we do? God, what do you want me to do? What's the will of God? How should we live here? Proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. Keep your conduct honorable. Be subject to every human institution. Live as free people who use their freedom to serve. Honor everyone. Love the church family. Fear God. Honor those in authority. Be subject to your master and suffer well. You want to know how to live? As a Jesus follower, right here. In light of our identity, chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, all of that, we are purchased by God, we're his people. Through the framework of sojourners and exiles, this is what we do. This is how we live. I don't know if this list has ever been more important than right now. COVID, racial injustice, elections, Whatever seems, we still got a couple months left. Like whatever seems to round out 2020 is sure going to put this to the test in our lives. Each one of these deserves its own sermon. But we'd be in 1 Peter for years if I did that. So I'm just going to make a few general comments here about all of this, what we do. Four general comments here about what we do in light of how we live, in light of who we are. First comment don't excuse yourself from these things because of cultural differences. We have a reference to servants or, or slaves, and once again, there's more justice to be done to this text than I have time for today. But as we look at a list like these, we're like, ah, we don't have emperors, and we just chuck the whole list. Or like, oh, I'm not a servant of somebody, and we chuck everything out. No, 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 don't excuse yourself because culture looks a bit different now. 
We don't, we don't throw out Scripture because it's somehow irrelevant. We take Scripture and use it as the framework through which we see our life today. We honor and we obey, and we have to face the hard things in verses 13 through whatever we went through, 20. So don't excuse yourself because cultural differences. Don't use things like slavery or emperors or whatever as, a, as an out to discredit the whole thing. Number two, general comment about these verses The overall themes here are all around power and authority and what you do with it. Some people that Peter was writing to had power and authority. Some people didn't. If you have it, Peter says, don't use it for evil. If you don't have it, don't worry about getting it. That's not the point. Honor God no matter what your social standing is, no matter what your power or perceived power or authority is in your time and your place. Number three, Following the way of Jesus will always force a priority change. Notice how many of those things on that list that Peter gave us require you to die to yourself, require you to sacrifice for somebody else, to not have it your way, or to maybe, maybe even experience some discomfort in this life. The norm for us is we think me first, and, and maybe those around me next, and then maybe how God wants me to live after that. And the way of Jesus totally reorients us to think, what does God want and ask of me first? How can I be a blessing and a servant to others? And lastly, how am I thinking about myself? The way of Jesus is an upside-down kingdom. Fourth comment. Live in a way that points people to the one true God. Not the false gods of self-gratification, self-glorification, uh, self-sufficiency or individualism or uh, the pursuit of happiness. Live in a way that points people to the one true God. From what God has already done, to who he has made us to be, live well, wisely, and holy in our exile. So that those in this world see our good deeds and look to God. Are you living in a way that those who don't know Jesus see your life and have to look to some supernatural explanation for how you live? That is deeply convicting for me, and I don't think I'm alone. Who we are, how we live, what do we do, and finally, why do we do this? Why do we do? That's not like a real sentence. I just was trying to make it fit the format of everything else. Why do we do? That's the last question. Why do we do any of this? Because as we go down this rabbit hole Peter has for us, we start to feel maybe the weight of living differently. We maybe start to feel the conviction from the Holy Spirit about how we're not living in step with our identity. Maybe we've reversed priorities. Maybe we put ourselves first. Maybe we've been living our own version of the gospel, living our, with our own version of a God here on this earth. And so we say, why do we even bother with any of this? And finally, after understanding who, how, what, Peter reminds us why we do any of this in the last few verses. Verse 21. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. In other words, 
Why do we do this? Because Christ, as our example, left us an example to follow. As we are with him, the natural, logical next step, according to Peter and Jesus himself, is to become like him and do the things he did. And he goes on in verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He trusts God no matter the circumstance. He trusts his Father. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That's why Jesus was crucified on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Why do we do any of this? Because Peter believes that the death and resurrection of Jesus was and is the point around which everything else in the world revolves, including your life and my life. Somehow, he's saying we must see all the unjust suffering and inconvenience and sacrifice and otherworldly living through the lens of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is the shepherd and overseer of your soul. You are cared for and loved. Remember this, as you're suffering slander, as you're suffering inconvenience, as you're losing friendships, fighting with your spouse, struggling at work, remember Jesus is the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You are cared for. You are loved. You are called into a high calling of faithfulness and obedience and, like Jesus, sometimes suffering. Jesus taught us how to live well in that high calling. And by practicing the way of Jesus, we will be able to endure the hardship of this present age. Because Jesus did, he was our example. And he deposited his Holy Spirit in you and me so that we would follow in his steps. You know, as we consider what it means to be resilient disciples who are faithful in the face of cultural coercion, and who live a vibrant life in the Spirit, we remember that Jesus has gone before. That he has made a way for us to live. And it's only through his sacrifice, his suffering, and his resurrection that we can live. Who are we? How do we live? What do we do? Why do we do it? Because Jesus defeated death and is alive. And if that's true, that changes everything. I want to end um, just by reminding us of those first few verses we started in. And, uh, and we're going to do something here. Instead of, I'm going to read it here, and I'm going to swap out the you's and, and the us's or whatever for, for me, for I. And I want you to do the same. and Maybe say it out loud. Maybe that might be super weird. Or just kind of as you're reading along with me, replace all those moments of you with I or we. 
but we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we have not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. If you follow Jesus, this is who you are. If you are a part of the church of Jesus Christ, this is the kind of people we are. And as we think about how to live as sojourners and exiles and how do we live honorably and sacrifice for others and all these things Peter has gotten to, remember you are not doing this to earn anything because God has already made you a people. He has already showed you mercy. He's already made you into a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And it's out of that new identity that we can live the way Peter is calling us to live. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this moment. And whether we are feeling amped up or convicted or encouraged or perplexed, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would minister to us right now. To everyone in a Zoom community or a um, backyard or maybe watching online, I pray that we would not run too fast past this text. I pray that we would sit with this text, its weighty and wonderful implications. Help us to live the, as the people you've called us to be. Help us to live out this identity well. Would you remind us in the everyday mess of life that our citizenship is in heaven. We are a different people, a different race. We have different responsibility. We have different assignments here in this world. I pray, Jesus, that you would deposit something in our church so profound that we would never look back, that we would be so confident of who you've made us to be, that it would forever change our lives. And as Peter reminds us, would we remember the why in this? That if Jesus actually did defeat death, rise from the dead, and now sits at the right hand of the Father and has called us his own, this changes everything. Holy Spirit, we ask for your help. Help us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Thank you for the sweet and deep love of the Father that has showed us mercy and given us this new identity. Amen.